today in the Reading Corner, we are really delighted to be talking to Christopher Corr, illustrator of The Great Race, which is just out from Francis Lincoln, but obviously an illustrator of many other books. So um, welcome, Christopher. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. I wondered today if we could start by exploring something of your journey in illustration. I'm interested to know when you were growing up as a child whether art was a particular interest or or whether anybody recognised any innate talent? Um, Well, I've always loved drawing and um, my mum was really encouraging for me to draw and paint and we used to draw together sometimes. She she really encouraged me to express myself through picture making. Um, Books as well. We we always had lots of books growing up and we made our own library in the corner. But for me, art was Mm -hmm. always my big thing. Were any of those books illustrated books, and do you remember them? I, yeah, I do, I do. We had lots of picture books. I really like the Sajek, the Czech illustrator, his books of cities around the world. Um, mm. This is London, this is mm. Hong Kong, this is New York. And I still got them, though. They're fantastic books. And they're finding a new audience because they've been yeah, reissued, really which is yeah, great. They're still great. Yeah. And so when did you know that you were going to become an illustrator? I know you went to art college um was it at that point or tell us a bit more about the the rest of the journey when I was at school I had two really great art teachers and they um and they just encouraged me I was going to study English and um I remember having a meeting with them one day and they said haven't you written enough essays haven't you you read enough books now just it's drawing and painting that you like just apply to art school I I had never thought about it at all and um you know, it was one of those situations where it's very easy to not think about the thing you love most, really. So I applied to art school, and um, I did a foundation course at Manchester for one year, and I, it's just the most incredible experience, being able to draw and paint and print and take photos and all day long. I, you know, it just was a dream. And then after that, I liked Manchester. I didn't know the city before I got there, and um, I decided to stay another three years and do my BA course in uh, graphics and um, all the time drawing was the most important thing there's so much to explore with drawing and so many different ways to draw and so many things to draw and I was kind of building up my skills I think and then after four years I still didn't feel ready I wasn't sure about illustration I didn't really know how I could do it I applied to the Royal College for the illustration MA course when I got in, which was an amazing achievement for me, it was a bit like going right back to the beginning again. And we had some great illustration tutors. Quentin Blake was the head of the department. They had lots of people coming in, showing their work from all kinds of areas of illustration. And I, I didn't... For me, I, I was kind of discovering the world at the time. I wasn't really thinking about children's books. I saw myself more like a journalist. I thought, I, I want to go and see the world and draw the world. So I started travelling and applying for scholarships and u- using whatever money I could just to go somewhere and, 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 and draw the place and get to know it in some sense. Perhaps that's a good place for us to talk about some of those travels. I think anybody that's seen one of your books, there'll be an instant recognition from your wonderful use of colour. And they do seem to have an interest in other parts of the world you know that seems to be a theme that comes through including in the latest book the great race so were there any travels that informed that book yeah i went to china for about four months 
in, I think it was the summer of 89. And I didn't really know much about China. I read some books. I'd seen some films. I'd seen lots of photographs. But I was curious to see it through my own eyes, really. And so I took a flight to Hong Kong. I, had, I was stayed in Hong Kong and explored the place for four days. It was in the middle of summer. It was very hot and sweaty. And then I took a boat to Shanghai, which took about three days. And I, I drew all the time. And it was all wonderful adventure, really. And here in front of us, I can see a scrapbook that you made while you were travelling. Perhaps we can talk through some of these pages so that our listeners can get something of the richness of the sorts of things that you saw. Yeah, when, when I travel, I always look for things I can collect, ephemera, things that are very much um, a part of that culture. So I, I collected lots of tickets, uh, matchbox pictures and wonderful packaging um, and, and, and they're full of Chinese symbols and legends and hero figures and you know, here's some firework packaging with dragons and magical birds that form part of their culture and it was certainly a good way for me to, to get to know, to understand their culture more mm-hmm. and, it, and it helped later on when I went on to work on the Great Race many years later uh, but I, I still use this book it's a great, it's a great resource mm-hmm. for me And just at the page we've stopped at here, I notice uh, we're looking at the train and one of the things that strikes me is how different this is from the more traditional art that I've seen in some of the preceding pages. Yes. When I was there, it was still very much um, kind of getting over the Mao days, really. Um, So I think this is a cigarette box I picked up in the street with a train on it. And this is from a toilet roll I found on a train. (laughs) And it's got a big locomotive engine and whooshing into the future. Uh, Was that on the actual paper? It was on the wrapping. So when I I travel, I'm ruthless. I (laughs) I, uh, peel things off walls. I ransack hotels. I, I found people who selling matchboxes before they were made up. Um, I was taken into fan factories sometimes and I, I asked for samples. You know, I found a man making calligraphy in the street. Uh, so I, I went down his bin and collected bits of uh, paper he'd written on. It looks as though the pages are themed. So is, is it something that built up? Did you start a page for, like, teas and then add to it? It looks as though you yes, must have had... I tried to have some system of uh, organisation... So, yeah, this is a page of kind of lucky matchboxes with um, pagodas and two bats, uh, lots of double happiness symbols, lucky coins. Yeah, it's full of really rich in symbolism. And perhaps we could also have a look at these. uh, This is collected, found art, if you like. And then you were drawing yourself. I understand that you didn't really take photographs, but you did lots of drawing. Could we just have a look in your sketchbook Mm. as well? Yes, um, it was my camera really. I just every opportunity on trains and um, I, I took bike bike rides through the countryside. And you know, whenever I saw something good, I stopped and drew it. This is in the Lee River in Guilin, and it was very rural countryside people farming the land with buffalo and bamboo boats on the river. Lots of bamboo. I, I, I had one green paint tube with me, so I, I used it and. and I try to travel quite light when I'm out for the day. Street market, somebody selling fish. It was in the summer, so a lot of people spend their time sleeping. And even at night, it was surprising. In Beijing, people bring their beds out on the street and sleep on the street because it was so hot. 
You're not drawing in pencil. It's a a, a little uh, fibre pen. You get a much better line. This is a string bag of live frogs I saw in the market. market's a bit like going to the zoo, full of shocks. And people were very relaxed about me drawing them. There was never any... Apart from drawing trains at the uh, station, that didn't go down too well. But in the street, I was fine. So... Years later, when you were doing the great race, you came back to have a look at some of I this did, yes, material. Yes, yes, and I wanted to include some of the things I'd seen in some of the places. And so I set the story in the in Guilin, in the Li River, with um, those wonderful uh, limestone hills that everybody knows. They're very magical. It's a magical landscape, mm-hmm. very traditionally Chinese, lots of pagodas and little temples on hillsides and waterfalls and mm-hmm. steaming bamboo groves. Mm-hmm. Just in case anybody doesn't know, we should say that the Great Race is the story of how the Chinese zodiac came to be, isn't it? It is, yeah. And everybody knows the symbols, you know, the, it's the year of the dog, it's the year of the horse. But it's a wonderful, wonderful story about trying to organise the, the great emperor, who's kind of a god figure. He's trying to organise the, the universe back in, into some kind of order, because everything is chaotic, um, everything's got out of line. So um, he organises a race for all the animals in the kingdom to take part in the race. And the first 12 to swim across the river, they become the, uh, the kind of rulers of each year. So one, one per year. Some work together, others work alone. Some are like the pig and the dog. They're, they're very playful and they don't really... They kind of lose track of what they're doing, whereas other animals are more kind of ruthless in the way they get across, like the snake hides in a horse's hoof. Mm. This year is the year of the dog. Do you know what year you are? I am a goat. Right, and I am a rat. (laughs) I wonder if we could have a look at the book now. I asked you if you wouldn't mind bringing some, rather hesitantly I say, asked you if you wouldn't mind bringing some of your original artwork because I didn't know whether there would be available any original artwork to look at and you've arrived with this wonderful collection of paintings I wonder if you would mind telling uh, us a little bit about how you work and maybe if we could have a look at a spread that you were particularly fond of or pleased with as a way into talking about that. That would be lovely. Well, the spread I've chosen is the dragon spread. In Chinese culture, a dragon is good. It's not like here with George and the dragon. Dragons eating virgins. It's not nothing like that. The dragon is good. He's um, he helps the Chinese. He brings the wind. He's very beneficial to everybody. And in the story, you see him early on in the story helping the rabbit cross the river. The rabbit's having a lot of trouble. Doesn't want to get wet. He jumps on a log. The log's a bit static, so the dragon creates a wind to help the rabbit cross the river. And then he comes next. And in, in my picture, he's flying across the landscape. This kind of aerial shot of the river and the, the green hills. Um, what strikes us is, you know, this very bold, almost flat colour, but quite a lot of texture. You use a lot of um, dots for texture and repeated lines that give a, a pattern there. I always thought it was quite hard to achieve that flat effect, but uh, you say not so difficult. No, it's not so difficult. I, I put in movement and texture, I think, when I need it. Mm. So there's the odd splash of like, the waterfall hitting the water. That, so I, I use lots of dots. But I, I, look at, I, I was looking at a lot of Chinese art as well, and I, and I was thinking of lots of traditional Chinese pictures I've seen. So I, definitely that was in the back of my mind. Mm. And um, Chinese pagodas and kind of mm. drum bridges mm. uh, crossing the river. When you start working on something like this... 
Where do you start? Um, what did I do? I did a very rough sketch of what I wanted to do. I wanted to show the, the many layers of a landscape. So I, kind of, I think I started with the sky and then started drawing in the hills and remembering the dragon's got to come in. I wanted the dragon to fill the whole space. He's, he's such an important animal. And I, I had the, the river winding around the landscape. And, and, and these are the kind of landscapes I saw, really. They were, you know, it's kind of a, as I have them in my memory. Because they are painted, what happens if... I, I'm going to use the word mistake, but what happens if you're almost at the end of completing something like this and then something you're not expecting happens to the painting? Do you start again, or what happens? Um, well, I try not to uh, see anything as a mistake. It's a kind of fortunate happening, and uh, I work with it if I can. I mean, so far, so good. And um, there's always a good designer I can work with, I hope. Because my, my pictures, sometimes they do, they do grow. They're always slightly bigger or smaller than the page I'm allotted. So um, I, 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 I like it to, to develop as a painting, really. That's really what I think of. Uh, I remember there's, there's got to be some type somewhere, so I normally leave some empty sky for that. It's interesting hearing you say, you know, you see it as a painting, which it obviously is, and you do paint as well. Is there a difference for you between painting and being an illustrator the the difference is just really the usage i think that you know if i do a painting for a book it's going to be i've got to be aware that there's going to be a a gutter down the middle uh, where the book folds and there's got to be some space for type but in general i try not to make any massive differences you've talked a bit about your travels Mm -hmm. and how that's informed and inspired your work I wondered whether, in terms of art, artists, folk art, are there any of those sorts of things that have really influenced you as well? I really do look at a lot of folk art and outsider art. There's you know, a lot a lot to be seen. And when I travel, I certainly I look around galleries and if there's a collection to be seen somewhere, I'll try and find it. But textiles I really am passionate about. I, 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 I try and collect things when I, when I travel. When, when I come back, I, I always have about twice as much luggage as when I started, so full of textiles and books and materials and mm. stuff I find in the street, mm. you know, bags of things that I you know, put into my scrapbooks. Mm. But textiles are very inspiring. In, in China, the folk art is really amazing, you know, incredible use of colour and you know, almost Matisse-like collages you see in places. Just looking at your spread of the dragon here... You could see how so much of this could translate into a wonderful textile as well. These patterns of the hills would be wonderful. These rice fields, would, you know, this dragon pattern would just be wonderful on fabric. And I think you are involved in a textiles project, aren't you? Yeah, I've just my, my first textile project, and it's to do with... I'm not really supposed to talk about it, but it's going to be launched in September, and it's huge fabrics to do with different places in the world. So my, I think I've got four cities or four places um, um we've done a couple of rugs as well and i like i like carpets and rugs i was going to ask you specifically about the uh, writing of the great race and what came first for you the text or the image and whether you find it as easy to work with the text as you do with the the paintings for me i see it mostly it's a picture book with a little story and 
primarily I'm, yes, I can write, but you know, my writing is very simple, very basic. And uh, what I love doing most is, um, is, is the drawing and the painting. And I hope the story, um, you know, like having a good designer, you need a good editor to make it work. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I rely heavily on my editors and my designers. You haven't gone over to the world of the digital yet. No, so no. what is it that painting can give you that perhaps working with the digital form can't? Yeah, I'm very old-fashioned, very traditional. I really love colour. I love paint. I love painting tubes. I, I don't like paint on screens. It's just there's something so tactile and so magical about it. So, you know, something happens when you, you know, make a big sweep of red paint and... You know, just the way colours mix. You never know what they're going to do. And I'm I'm very happy when they just, you know, when they start doing things that I hadn't planned. That, to me, is the kind of magic. And I don't rely on electricity to make my pictures. I, you know, electric light maybe, but uh, I don't want a screen or anything getting in the way. It's, um, for me, it's very physical, I think. Mm. I mean, colour mixing, it sounds as though it would be such an easy thing to do. But if you're actually having to make your colour in a book, you have to, for instance, this wonderful... I don't know what we would call this. It's like a lapis lazuli yeah, colour. Like yes. So if you want to keep that consistent through the book, is that quite a... You're probably so well practised in doing it now, but actually making the same colour every time, yeah, is that a challenge? I, it's not. I mean, I, I'm, but I like, throughout the book, I like the colours to change page to page just to get across the idea of the different times of day and I often put I put the sun and the moon in my pictures um, so and they, and they change as well so there, there's always you know I'm thinking about the, the light changing through the day and obviously our listeners are mainly teachers and student teachers librarians you've worked with older students so you've yeah. taught older students what are the particular challenges of teaching young students today now, what I like to do is go out in the street and draw, get outside and draw. And I think these days it's just becoming sort of historic, really. You know, the act of going out to draw, a lot of students I find, they want to just stay in the studio and draw on a tablet, draw... You know, if I take students out to draw in the street, in the city, they'll take a picture on their phone... And then they draw from what they see on the phone. But, you know, I'm saying, look, look at what's in front of you. Just look, look at what's happening. And when I go out to draw, I like the kind of surprises that come along. You know, you never know what's going to come down the street or who's going to come by. And that's, there's something very surprising and kind of wonderful about that. And that's, you know, that's what I try to get across with, you know, when I take students out to draw. It, it's about making the most of what you see in front of you and being prepared for, you know, looking for the surprises. More dynamic that way as well, I would think. And do you, do you find that they also have a more limited range of tools that they might employ? Or is it a different, perhaps it's uh, more true to say, a different range of tools? As a student, for me, I think, you know, what I tried to do in my time of seven years was just try different things all the time, draw with different materials, try different paper. You know, so much, if, you know, if you mix up two different kinds of paints, funny things happen that you just can't predict. And for me, it's about surprising yourself all the time, really. So you know, I try and get students to draw with um, different kind of tools, unusual tools, toothbrush or you know, draw with your other hand. Or 
I remember my very first day in art school, foundation course, I was 17, and we were taken into a, a big room. There were about 60 students, and we were given drawing boards and paper and a pencil, and the tutor turned all the lights off, so it's completely black. And they said, OK, draw yourself. You've got half an hour. And you could see nothing at all. And that was, it was a shock. But it kind of opened my mind to the fact that drawing is really about surprises. And you do know a lot, really. You know, I know what my face is like. And even in the dark, I can make some kind of representation. But what's going to come out in drawing in the dark is going to be a surprise. And that's really what you want. I think you want to surprise yourself. And then hopefully you'll surprise the people who see it. There's obviously some good advice within that for teachers working with younger children as well. Is there any specific advice that you might offer to teachers who might not necessarily be art specialists, but if you were going to give them one kind of nugget of what they could do in the classroom, what would it be? Well, I, th- I think the way children draw, and I look at the way, I look at a lot of children's drawings for inspiration, really. They just draw so spontaneously, and, and they are surprising because you say draw a car, and they'll, you know, some kids will draw the underside of the car or they'll draw the inside of the car when you're not really expecting it. They'll show you something they're particularly interested in. And I think it's that kind of thing, that sort of vision, that, that way of looking, which you really need to treasure. Kids, when they're very young, they're so spontaneous, and somehow it can get driven out, which is, you know, I remember for myself, you know, what is just so exciting when you go out and draw on the street, that thrill of the surprise mm-hmm. and I think you know that's what really needs to be maintained with children's drawings children's art mm-hmm. they are so you know Picasso said you know it's taken me all this time 80 years to get back to being a child really I think that's so important that it's about valuing them for who they are now yeah. and not what they might be or become yeah. and being driven too much by mm-hmm. by that yeah, and it's not about you know making a copy of something it's not about you know shine, drawing a shiny new car. It's about, yeah, show me the underside of the car, show me the back of the car, you know, show me the whole thing, you know, as colourful as you can. I perhaps want to end just by thinking about um, the emotions and art. And I know that when I look at one of your books, I can't help feel anything but joyful. I think it is primarily your use of colour. And I just open it and I feel happy (laughs) so I just wonder as an artist when you're creating something like this how do you feel what what are the emotions that you experience joy is good I mean I'm I'm very um I'm kind of aggressively optimistic I think about life and these days it's so important I find color so liberating and so exciting and I hope you know that's really what I want to get across you know a story like the great race needs to be you know, it's a joyful story, it's a funny story, and it's life-affirming. So those are the kind of values I, I kind of want to get across, really, and a love of the world, really. The world we live in is so special and so much to be gained from other cultures, and, you know, that's you know, something I'm really passionate about. Christopher, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been so a real insight, and I've learned so much, so thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks so much.